If you hang around youth sporting events long enough, you may see, you may come across signs about coachable kids. Has anybody ever seen this? Maybe even seen it on Facebook. It says, uncoachable kids become unemployable adults. Let your kids get used to someone being hard on them. That's life. Get over it. I don't know if I agree with that entire sentiment. I have learned in my 46 years on the planet that people hardly get over things when you say, get over it. It's like when my husband tells me to calm down. That does not bring calm to our household. People don't get over things. Though I do agree with the idea of being coachable. I have told Dominic over and over again that to be coached is to be loved and believed in. If a person, if a coach, believes that you have talent to develop, then they're going to coach you up. They might even be tough coaches at times because they see your potential that maybe you don't even see and they want you to develop into that potential. They want you to live up to what they know you can do, what you are not sure that you can do. I read another saying about coaching that I found to be very profound. It's simple but powerful. It said, be humble enough to be coachable. There is a definite humility in being coachable and teachable. Which brings me to yet another saying. I wish I knew who the writers or speakers of these sayings were so I could credit them, but it was anonymous when I looked it up. This saying says, we are never too old to learn, but some of us think we are too experienced to be coached. Ouch. That one hurt a little bit when I read it. We are never too old to learn, but some of us think we are too experienced to be coached. You see, coaching is not just for kids or for young adults, for young people. To be coachable shows humility and allows room for learning. And God appreciates a humble and an open disciple. God appreciates a coachable follower. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Isn't that true? We cannot be taught if we think we know it all. We cannot be coached if we think we have mastered it all. We can't be coached if we think that we have achieved it all. We can't be humbled when we're so full of ourselves that there is no room for personal growth. And indeed, that is disgraceful. I cannot count the times lately that someone has said to me, Pastor, this world is a wreck. It's a mess. It's a mess out there, as if I'm not living in it as well. They say, we have never been worse off than we are right now. They say, everyone knows everything. Everybody knows everything. Everyone is so sure that they're right. Everyone is so sure of themselves that they'll go to any length to prove it. They won't even listen to the other side. People are so hateful. They'll say and do anything. Does that sound familiar? Have you heard that? Have you said that? I agree. 
I agree to some extent. This is a very divisive time. It's, it's not like anything I've experienced in my life. But I wonder when people say to me, this is the worst time in humanity's history. I wonder if that's really true. I especially wonder as I read stories from scripture from thousands of years ago, like the one that we read today. The story of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus is an impressive one. It's a, it's a, it's a big God story. It's a big God showed up. Imagine it. They're making their way to Damascus, and all of a sudden a light from heaven flashes, knocking this powerful man to his knees, clear off of his horse, face in the dirt. They find him alongside the road. A voice of God questions, Saul, why do you persecute me? When I'm studying to prepare my sermons, I read through the story multiple times. I read it from different translations. I read it to see what jumps out at me, what sorts of things that I think God is trying to reveal to me. When I first read through the story of Saul's conversion, I heard God's voice as this big, booming, thundering, scary voice from the sky. You know the kind that, that when you're at the movies and the sound is up really high and this big, booming voice causes you to jump in your seat a little bit? At least me. It causes me to jump in my seat. David just sits there like nothing's happening. It's very, very annoying. You know what I'm talking about? That big all overwhelming sound that, that makes your eardrums rattle a little bit. That's how I heard the voice of God the first time I read the story. But then, as I read it over and over again, the voice in my mind changed from that thundering voice of God, that eardrum shaking, jump in your seat kind of voice. It changed and I heard more tenderness. And then I heard so much more hurt. Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul, why are you harassing me? Saul, why are you out to get me? And you would think that the big booming voice of God would be harder to hear. But thinking of God speaking to me with hurt dripping off of his words, questioning why I would hurt him, was almost unbearable to read. I don't ever want to have a conversation with God where he says, why are you hurting me? I don't know what that experience on the road to Damascus was like. I don't know how bright the light was. I don't know what the voice of God sounded like, but I know that it had to be like nothing ever experienced before. Scripture says that the men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless. They could see the light. They could hear the Lord. They couldn't hear, I, I think, exactly what he was saying, but they knew the voice of God was speaking. This powerful man this persecutor of Christians, this faithful hunter, 
knocked off of his horse. Imagine the scariest person you've ever known. That person that as soon as you saw them, your stomach tightens, and you try to turn the other direction because you don't even want to, I don't even want to be part of anything that that person's doing. Imagine seeing that person knocked from their horse into the dirt. And when they stood up, they were blind, completely helpless. In the blink of an eye, in the flash of a light, this powerful persecutor was reduced to a trembling, blind, confused man. He needed help to stand, help to walk, help to find his way into the city. They led him by the hand, this all-powerful, you know, this man that would make you tremble was led by the hand into the city, and he was, he was so overwhelmed that he didn't eat or drink anything for three days. Three days. And you might say, well, pastor, just my opinion, but he deserved it. He was terrible. Do you know what they say about him? He killed Christians. He hunted them. He sought out men. And worse than that, he sought out women and threw them in jail, locked them up for believing in Jesus. He stood by and he did nothing when Stephen was stoned to death. In fact, the story goes that he held the cloaks of the ones who threw the stones. He got what he deserved. He earned his punishment. All of those things are correct. He did do all those things. He sought out Christians. He hunted the early believers, the followers of the way. He tried to turn them against Jesus. He tried to stop this new Jesus movement. He tried to lock it up, forcing believers into jail. And when they wouldn't renounce Jesus, when they wouldn't say that they would change to Saul's belief system, even worse things happened to them. As he stood by and held the cloaks of the one who threw the stones, he wanted to stop the movement of God at any cost because he didn't believe it. He was so sure of himself and so sure that he was right that he would not be stopped until he just burnt the whole thing down. Scripture says he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples. His very breath, this belief was so much a part of him, he was so convinced that he was right, that his very breath was of death. The very God-given breath that he contained was of death. That is a kind of anger that I hope never to hold within myself. That my very breath exude it, spread it. We read these words and think Saul is possibly one of the worst people I've ever known of. He is beyond help. How could someone like that be changed? Is someone like that even worth redemption he was so sure that he was right he was so sure that he was justified that he took action himself and went to the religious leaders and he asked them for letters and you might think what 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 letters these letters that he got he would take 
from synagogue to synagogue. And he would present this letter and it would give the rabbis permission to hand over the followers of Jesus. Actually, it would demand that they hand over the followers of Christ. And as I was reading, I kept thinking, this sounds like the Nazis showing up with a letter demanding, give me the faithful. This is it's too much. Because I was reading this story through the lens of my life. This is my Jesus that I follow. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's saying they could show up with letters on this doorstep on this day and say, all of these people will come unless they renounce Jesus. My children, that's my greatest fear. I almost gave up preaching this, this Sunday. It was almost too much. So I started to think about why would you do this? Why would you do this? Saul. And so I started reading and studying to look at life through his lens, to try to understand, to hope to get some insight into who Saul was and why he would do this. Saul was a religious leader. He was an expert in the Jewish law. He was faithful. He was sure. I'm sure he was admired within the Jewish community. And that very sureness, that very knowledge, that love of Judaism is what motivated him to do all the things he was doing. But that still didn't set right with me. That that sureness, that love of Judaism could motivate him to persecute others who held a different belief. To hunt down the early followers of Jesus. It was too much to understand. But again, I'm hearing the story through my ears, reading it through my eyes, experiencing it through my heart. But if I think of how Saul experienced it as a Jewish faithful, you see, this wasn't the first time there had been a Messiah that had come. There had been false messiahs before. And when the false messiahs had come, they had wreaked havoc on the Jewish community. Those false messiahs had made promises that were not true. And so to be a Jewish follower, it was scary that Jesus had come. It was scary. What if it weren't true? What if he were another false messiah? And if you were them, you believed that this system of worship that you had in place was gifted to you by God himself. And so for someone to come and threaten that, that was a threat to your very existence, to the very promise between yourself and God. The Jewish people believed that God would bless or punish them based on the whole of the community, on their behavior, on their worship, on their sacrifice. And so to see half your community leave to follow Jesus was so scary for them. To see half your community go off the deep end, and what if it turns out to be another false messiah? Then your community as a whole is in trouble. 
These are the kind of thoughts that led to Saul's extremist behavior. I am not excusing it in any way, but when I think of it that way, I think I can see a glimpse of the why he did the things he did. Not just for pure evil. I can understand it a little bit more. If I thought someone was harming my faith community, I would try to protect it. I want to believe that I wouldn't harm anyone, but I would try to protect it. These are the kind of thoughts that led to his extremist behavior. And as the Jesus movement ramped up, our scripture begins with meanwhile, because they want us to understand that while the disciples were over here, we heard of Peter last week being brought into, brought before the leaders, and they said, we told you not to do this. So as the Jesus movement is speeding up over here, Saul, meanwhile, is trying to ramp up his efforts. So these two things are happening at the same time. And as the testimonies of the direct witnesses to Jesus' work ramp up, Saul's anger ramps up hard to believe or is it Saul was so sure he was right that the testimonies would not sway him in fact they would motivate him to work even harder Saul was definitely not approachable definitely not coachable he would not be humbled he had too much knowledge and too much experience. Right up until he didn't. His knowledge and his experience would run right into God on the road to Damascus. And that experience would knock him straight off his horse onto the ground. Ever been there? I have. If you haven't, then you need to have a little meeting with the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes we're so sure of ourselves. We're so sure of ourselves that we need to be knocked off our high horses. And that is a pretty humbling fall. I realized as I read that I would rather have God mad at me than to stand before God and hear hurt in his voice that I will do whatever I can to show grace and love to people, that I never hear God say, why are you hurting me? Because whatever we do to the least of these, we do to Jesus. To hear Jesus say, I am the Jesus you're persecuting. Why? Why are you doing that? I'm not sure about anything. That's what I've learned from this story. I'm not so sure about anything other than that I believe in a God that is so enormous that I can never be sure of one thing other than I believe that he is sure. I will never be sure of anything in my life other than I follow Jesus. And I will try to love like him. And I will try to show grace like him. And that I'll trust that he can handle all the rest of it. I'll try to stay in my lane. I'll try to stay on my horse. But I'll let him knock me off. 
I think I would rather have an earth-shaking, eardrum-shattering voice from the heavens bellowing at me than I would to stand before God and ask, be asked why I hurt him. That was hard to even sit with the words. Saul was so sure of himself that he had passed the point of anger with God and had moved into deep hurt and disappointment. He was working against God's movement. He was hurting God's people, so he was hurting God. And on that road, God's light shone. Brighter than the brightest noonday sun, and the voice of God called out to a sinner's soul and said, why? Why? Saul knew who Jesus was. He knew the teachings and the work of Christ. He knew of the resurrection. None of that was enough to break into what he was sure he understood of what God was doing. But God remained faithful and continued to pursue Saul, just as God continues to reach out to all of us. And so my prayer this day is that we will all be humble, that we will all be coachable, that God will reveal our own blind spots, that we will allow ourselves to see. I pray that we'll all become aware of the times that we are so sure that we are right, that we will go to any extent to further our own agenda, even if it means burning the whole thing down. We will feel justified. I pray that we are all reminded how little we truly know and how little we can really be sure of other than the one that we follow the God that knows it all. And I pray and praise God that God continues to pursue us at all costs in spite of ourselves. And I boldly pray that God will knock us down off of our horses into the dirt when we need to be knocked down to remind us of our own darkness and leave us to sit there for three days because I know the kind of work that God can do in three days. And all God's people said,